This is Upstate's HealthLink on air. Linda Cohen along with you. Well, teen suicide is on the rise in this country, and now, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, it's just as likely for middle school students to die from suicide as from traffic accidents. Well, here with more on all of this is Dr. James Deemer. He's Assistant Professor of Psychiatry specializing in child and adolescent psychiatry, and he's the Director of the Child Psychiatry Fellowship at Upstate Medical University. Welcome, Dr. Deemer. Thanks so much for coming in. Well, thanks for inviting me. So, Young adolescents are more prone to suicide today. Tell us about that. Yeah, so in, in general, um, the uh, prevalence of suicide attempts tends to increase from young childhood through adolescence um, and then ultimately reaching adult levels in late teens. And I think the reason for that um, has to do to some degree with uh, normal brain development. And so uh, normally the brain is continuing to develop um, until the mid-20s. And adolescence in particular is a time where the front parts of the brain, the thinking parts of the brain, the parts of the brain that kind of put the brakes on impulses and help us to problem solve, they're still kind of under construction. While the deeper parts of the brain or those parts of the brain that give us those drives, those are the most at their most excitable state. So during adolescence, it's kind of from a physiologic standpoint, um, it's a risk, it's a time of risk because it's a time where Adolescents have lots of strong drives and, and they don't emotions. Have, yes, and they don't have the braking system there sometimes to stop and think about what they want to do about those emotions or choices that they want to make. But in general, has has the has the tendency towards teen suicide gone up in this country? I mean, are we really seeing a, a prep increased prevalence? Yeah, if you look actually since the 1950s, there there's been an increase in the prevalence of, of suicide attempts. Not now to the point where, um, you know, high school students about there's about an eight percent, um, about eight percent of high schoolers will, will attempt suicide um, if you were to look um, over a year period. And that's up since in even the the early part of this decade. I mean, basically, yeah, it, it's fluctuated through. Um, I think it tends to fluctuate with time. What do you think, you know, the forces, I mean, obviously the immediate response to that kind of a statistic would be, so why now? I mean, why has this continued to increase? And and obviously you mentioned in terms of the general development of the individual that teen eight, the teen years are the most susceptible to this kind of behavior. But why this overall increase? I mean, what forces do you think currently are playing a role? I think in general the demands that are placed on our, our developing youth just continue to increase so that a, a lot of the um, circumstances and things that kids are exposed to that maybe we were exposed to at a much uh, older age where we were more prepared to kind of digest and process those issues, they're, you know, they're being faced with um, greater social and emotional demands that are um, pretty tricky figuring out you know, how to how to effectively deal with those. And physiologically, aren't kids entering puberty earlier? I know there's been some statistics that suggest that young girls, for example, are entering puberty at an earlier rate than they did perhaps two or three decades ago. Yeah, I think there is a a trend towards that. And and also, I I think that the chronological age of our youth now, you'll run into kids who are 12, 13 years old, and, and you'll be thinking, wow, this this youngster really is exposed to and talking about things in a, a lot more sophisticated way than in the past. And 
Some of that might have to do with cultural issues such as access to social media and and um, and things of that nature as well. So the pressure is on. They may be developing a little bit earlier in some ways, but others not. For example, as you said, the brakes are not necessarily there, but the impulses or the drives are there. And in general, kids are, I think, being asked to grow up a lot sooner on some level. I mean, they're being exposed to all kinds of sexual media information and, and, and that kind of thing. Would you think that's yeah. somewhat... I, I wouldn't want to... That's like the milk or the, the, the environment, the matrix in which kids are, are living today. Yeah, I agree. I mean, when I, when I treat adolescents, I think back to what adolescence was like for me, and I, I really wouldn't want to go through it again um, based on some of the demands that are being placed on, um, on these children. Just despite that, I really, on a daily basis in my practice, just marvel at the resilience in these um, teens as well as their, their uh, family. And so I think the... Um, the relationship between the teenager and their support system, um, caregivers and family, I think is vital. It's a vital protective factor um, in helping these uh, teenagers to navigate you know, some of the potential pitfalls of adolescence. One of the things I wanted to just ask you is been curious about is this issue of suicide versus this non-suicidal self-injury. Tell us a little bit about that. I know there's been maybe an increase in that kind of behavior as well, cutting, things of that nature. Yeah, so the main difference is what the intent is through the action. So with a suicidal ideation or a suicide attempt, the intent um, is that when a person acts on it, it is to die. Whereas what we call parasuicidal behavior or self-injury, um, the intent isn't to die. Um, often the intent can be... Um, to uh, lessen a state of arousal or to distract one from a more painful um, memory or a, a painful emotion. And so really the intent of, of the individual, it's, it's more or less a maladaptive attempt. It's an attempt to cope, but it's a maladaptive attempt to exactly. cope. Exactly, exactly. So um, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm Linda Cohen along with child and adolescent psychiatrist Dr. James Deemer, and we're talking about teen suicide and the various factors that play a role. So who's most at risk? Tell me about who's most at risk and how you assess that in general. Sure. So when we look at risk factors, uh, we look at predisposing risk factors, which is more or less um, long-standing um, factors that don't change over time. And then precipitating factors, which are more acute changes in the in the uh, teen's life. So some of the predisposing risk factors could be um, a I mean the long-standing ones. Yes, a family history of suicide attempts. Um, a you mean others than that individual? You mean yes, other within people? the family? Mm -hmm. Yes, um, a history of sexual abuse or trauma can be a risk factor for some youth. Um, a history of depression. Um, anxiety, if you look at from a psychiatric standpoint, which conditions tend to be most comorbid. Um, Go along with suicide. Yeah, depression and anxiety um, tend to be there. Um, in, in the short term during an assessment, some of the things I look at are hopelessness or a sense of pessimism is, is a risk factor um, for um, where, where I get more worried. Or um, How about choice? The idea that a, a child feels that they're, well, as I said, that they're not trapped, that they have some kind of a way of fixing whatever they're experiencing. Yeah, I think to some degree a suicide attempt is an attempt to solve some dilemma that they see as, uh, that they see no way out of otherwise. And so 
I think, um, you know, um, obviously a suicide is a, a tragic event. Um, but I think the intent most of the time is, is the, the person's intent is to relieve some suffering. Um, I, I really get concerned when I see a teenager who seems to be alone in their suffering, where um, they're unable to access anyone else to help them problem solve solutions or to help absorb some of their um, emotional angst. So we think that really kind of that sense of isolation and maybe no way out. Exactly. And might then, con might con kind of congeal to make that attempt happen. And then you go back to my earlier point about brain development. The parts of the brain that help you to problem solve different ways out of a, a, what seems to be an unfixable dilemma, those parts of the brain are just developing. So it's really important. The relationships are so important so that the teenager can then rely on another caregiver, an older person, and kind of borrow some of their good decision-making, some of their wisdom. And if they don't have access to that, that puts them at a very, that puts them at a disadvantage. How do you think the, 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 the emphasis today, though, on social media plays a role? I mean, does it, for example, does it affect girls more than boys? I mean, there's been, it's been, you know, there's been all this in the press about cyberbullying. Tell me what your thoughts are about that. Yeah. So one of the goals developmentally of adolescence is, is to get a sense of identity and a sense of um, kind of firm up a sense of self-esteem and uh, access to media and to people's feedback in a very second-by-second um, -second way, I think, um, can, can sometimes be damaging to, to vulnerable teens who are trying to develop a sense that they're good enough or that they measure up in some way. Or and, belong. Yes, exactly. And so when they get this immediate feedback from, from others around them, and during teenage years, that's what has a large part in shaping their, their self-image, it can be very hurtful. And, um, and, and I, I think it really, um, again, thinking back to you know, uh, earlier years, it really is just an added... Um, Pressure. Yes, like a wild card in what, what feedback or what input they're getting from the, social media. The other thing that strikes me is the public nature of this kind of conversation. You know, if something were to take place on a school bus among a number of catty girls or mean girls, for want of a better term, it was just between them. Now, that kind of conversation quite can be shared with an entire community, sometimes even beyond. So I think the sense of maybe shame or embarrassment or sense of isolation could really be, um, you know, exacerbated. Yeah, I completely your... agree with you. I, I would say uh, of the children I see and the teenagers I see presenting in our emergency room, um, it's become a lot more common for me to go straight to that as a risk factor, to ask what's been going on in social media because it's become so, it's, it's so prevalent. And, so, um, and I can't tell you the number of times where that seems to play a significant role in that person feeling rejected or embarrassed or shamed in some way. And so I, I would completely agree that it's, it's become um, a real concern. So to, to move from that on to what can be done about it, I mean, I don't mean just social media, I mean about this whole idea of, suicide, of teen suicide or even the teen depression that perhaps promotes these kinds of thoughts. I mean, what what are the signs that people should be aware of, loved ones should be aware of in their teens that would worry them, would worry you, for example, first? And then what do you recommend they do? Yeah. 
So I think the first thing is, is any assessment or um, it is based on relationship. And so um, if a caregiver, grandparent, mother, father, sibling, um, they, they know that person best. They've, they've grown up with them. And when they sense a change in their um, level of interaction with the family or um, the way in which they're expressing themselves, um, I think it's always good to um, sit down and reconnect with that teenager to check in as to how they're feeling. Um, you know, normalize some of it, not in an accusatory way. Um, I think it's most helpful um, to try to connect with your teen over an activity. Uh, sometimes I find, um, I know lots of parents are um, taxiing their kids to and from activities. The car ride um, can be a nice time to, um, when you're alone with your, your teen, to just strike up a conversation and, um, and they kind of feel less on the spot. And so I think reconnecting and beginning um, that conversation, um, and sometimes you can start it over something more neutral, like um, how things are going at school or what kind of music they like, and then just slowly ease into getting a sense as to encouraging the teen to identify how they're feeling. One would hope that that kind of conversation had been taking place throughout the child's life with the parent to have that kind of normalcy to that kind of conversation. It seems to me in a crisis or in a suspected crisis, it might be a bit harder. I don't want to run out of time. What types, how would you intervene in terms of treatments very briefly and what's available today? So I think the, one of the things we do is we identify if there is another psychiatric condition that's behind the uh, suicidality. So if there is depression or anxiety, we'll, we'll attempt to treat that. And so the vast majority of conditions such as depression and anxiety in child psychiatry, the first line treatment is psychotherapy, an eight-week trial of psychotherapy. If the condition, the depression or anxiety is more severe, sometimes you will consider concurrent use of medication. Um, the other thing you really try to do is you try to help the child and the family to problem solve ways that they can alleviate some of the demands um, on the youth. And oftentimes that'll be helpful, just starting up that conversation and, and before we sat down to talk, you mentioned this whole importance of reaching out to your primary care physician. Tell us about that really quickly. Yeah, so I think uh, most of us, our primary care provider has been with us um, throughout life. And so they represent a safe kind of harbor. And so I think with any um, medical concerns, and, and depression is a medical condition, I think reaching out to your primary provider first is a great first step. And then they can serve as an advocate um, to help guide you towards additional resources that might prove helpful. Very, very helpful information. Let's hope we can, you know, um, do more to help our kids these days. I really feel for the teens growing up these days. There's a lot of pressure on them, but obviously you have a very keen idea of how to help them, and I want to thank you so much for sharing it with us. My guest has been Dr. James Deemer. He's Assistant Professor of Psychiatry, specializing in child and adolescent psychiatry, and he's also the Director of the Child Psychiatry Fellowship at Upstate Medical University. I'm Linda Cohen. You're listening to Upstate's HealthLink On Air.